As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Right now, on the economy on what we saw on Friday and the adjustment forward. She is with ADP, Automatic Data Processing, is without question most locked into our paychecks of any company in the country. She's their chief economist. Neela Richardson adds value. Neela, good morning to you. Um, Neela, I I, I really want to focus in here on what ADP sees, not your proprietary stuff. I don't need to state secrets. But with the advantage of your payroll knowledge, what did you learn Friday and how does it amend your view forward? Well, we we learned that our firms, our clients, over a million clients, they're still hiring rather aggressively. We also learned that that hiring intensity is coming from small and medium firms that were blocked out through a lot of the hiring in 2022, outmanned by larger firms when it came to benefits and wages. And then the third thing we learned, and I think this is really important when you talk about the next steps for the Fed, is that wages are moderating. They are. Um, But they're not moderating quickly enough to make even a 2% inflation target seem reasonable at this point. They're still quite high, almost double what they were going into the pandemic. So there's still a lot of work to do when it comes to wages and getting them down to a tolerable uh, pace of growth that meets the Fed target. The economist John Farrow has really emphasized the ISM numbers on Friday as well. They show some sogginess. How does Neela Richardson define a soft landing. I have trouble with that phrase, but if we don't like the phrase soft landing, where are we going with that optimistic outcome? Well, to me, a soft landing is a landing you can walk away from. And I think the economy is strong enough right now, at least it looks like that it'll do so. We pretty much got a Goldilocks report on the 6th. And I'm going to say more about that in a second, but we got a report where you still saw a strong jobs growth and moderating wage growth. That's like the perfect scenario for a soft landing. The question is, will that trend continue? And I think what people get wrong about the current state of the labor market is that all of this is cyclical, that it can be controlled by a slightly higher interest rate. Much of what we're seeing in the labor market right now is structural. And if you look at the hard data, you'll see that employment growth over the next decade is expected to be half of what it was the previous decade. That means labor shortages are persistent and the specter of higher wages, especially in the service sector, will be with us for some time to come. So in other words, Neela, if I were going to sort of put a bow on that, are you basically saying that hope of a soft landing based on the print that we got on Friday is perhaps more wish than reality? 
I'm saying that the door's still open, actually, but that door swings both ways. Uh, we still have a robust labor market, three and a half percent unemployment rate. I mean, there's no getting around that. That's a strong labor market. And you're seeing uh, initial jobless claims barely above 200,000. That's a really strong labor market. However, that's a labor market that's also at risk of higher wage pressure at every turn. So this idea that the Fed can just get to this terminal rate and then pivot, to me, that door is closed. Uh, where you, I expect to see federal funds rates higher for longer for some time to come because the labor shortages aspect of the labor market isn't going away. Well, people will point to the services ISM, which you mentioned, that was weaker than expected, that came in with contractionary territory, and then areas like the housing market that have seen incredible destruction in terms of how much prices have come down, perhaps not that significant, but certainly the volume of sales. How much more is there to go in some of the industries that have been first hit by some of the tightening uh, Fed funds rate? Well, let me point out that the housing, the issue with housing is more structural than it is cyclical. It's not just higher mortgage rates. People have bought housing at much higher mortgage rates than what we're seeing now. It's about the monthly payment. Uh, what we're seeing in housing is just the lack of inventory. And that hits at a supply issue that is been an issue for over a decade. And that supply issue is likely to get worse with higher interest rates. So that's something that is structural. The 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 but to get back to your question, um, we can't expect the labor market to behave in a uniform way. This is a very fragmented market. And so you're seeing interest rate sensitive sectors like manufacturing start to slow. We've seen that firms that overhired last year, like information technology, they're starting to pause and slow. But at the same time, when one door closes, another door opens. You see that in the JOLTS data. There's still a lot of job openings and there are firms waiting in line to scoop up that headcount right now in this very tight labor market. Well, that's where I wanted to go. Let, let, I mean, I don't know if you've got any interior knowledge on this, Neela, but let's go there with all the bias you have in excellence with ADP. There's this tech hemorrhage going on right now. Do those people find jobs? It's too soon to tell how quickly they find jobs. And I think that underlies your question, how quickly they find jobs. We don't expect them to be part of the long-term unemployed of six months or more uh, that you see in, a, in other parts, other segments of the population. But it's how quickly they are observed. And my feeling and is that those skills are readily observed, absorbed, not necessarily in tech, but in other uh, sectors of the economy that benefit from advanced uh, tech and data skills and software development. Some of these uh, technologies that were really important during the pandemic have now gone mainstream, and companies are more likely to need tech talent in the future than less. So I, I expect that these uh, numbers will be quickly absorbed, though it's highly disruptive for people in the short term. <clears throat> And this is really, really important. And Lisa, would you agree with me? This is in the zeitgeist that that there's a lot of carnage going on in technology. But I'm sorry, there's an American job economy out there. Maybe, maybe on a on a stock basis or the hopes of a tech stock boom, you don't make the same compensation. But it's not like they're going out into a nothingness. Which is the reason why we haven't necessarily seen it in some of those numbers, Neela. This really raises a question. At what point do we start to see the destruction in the numbers that we're seeing in certain industries? Are we ever going to see it? Could we see a recession without necessarily an unemployment rate that picks up all that much? 
If we do, Lisa, it'll be the weirdest recession in U.S. history. I mean, I start from first principles, the jobless claims numbers. Those numbers are super low. And then I add the unemployment rate, 50-year low. And then I see the robust hiring. And yes, there could be some softness next year, and we could see weaker hiring next year. But the fact that firms are still hiring, when all expectation is that the economy is slowing, slowing significantly uh, from last year and definitely from 2021, that means makes the hiring even more remarkable. It tells me that what we're seeing is uh, impervious to interest rate hikes, that there's something more going on and that companies still need to hire and find qualified talent. So, Neela, just to sort of wrap this all up, you said that you think that this ultimately will push the Fed to raise rates to a higher level for longer and keep it there for longer than people currently are expecting. Can you give us some parameters of what you're expecting and when it will be felt by an economy that still has been resilient? Yeah, I don't know if the Fed's path is through the labor market. I know the narrative is that if we can cripple the labor market, we can slow down hiring, we can spike up the unemployment rate, and that we can crush wage pressures, that's going to lead to lower inflation. Um, I'm not sure that's the path anymore. Uh, I think what we need, actually, is to see more people enter the labor market. And unfortunately, what that means from for the Fed is that it's not just a monetary response, it's a fiscal response. It's a jobs retraining response. It's a get people into those interviews response, which needs more federal and local support, not just monetary support. So the idea that the Fed can do this alone and fix the labor market, bring down inflation and get people back uh, into the labor market is, I think, a little idealistic. So the Fed can only stay in its lane. Uh, I would expect to see a federal funds rate over 5%, and I would expect them to hold there for quite a bit of time. That means through 2023. Neela, thank you so much. A brief from Neela Richardson of ADP. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Joining us now is Laurie Cavasina, head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Laurie, let's start there where Lisa finished. The bank earnings this week. What are you looking for from the likes of J.P. Morgan and others to get a broader read on what's happening here? Well, I always love hearing the comment from the banks about what's going on in terms of consumer deposits. Um, we also like hearing, you know, a lot about what's going on with our corporate clients. So that's really, you know, frankly, I care a little bit less about the actual bank earnings and I care more about those macro tidbits that we're going to get. But I have to tell you, John, I pulled up this morning just looking at my Bloomberg about the sector performance over the past month. 
financials have actually done pretty well on a relative basis. And I never like that setup when financials have outperformed heading into reporting season um, because there's usually not that great of a setup. But we'll see what happens on Friday. Lori, I'm fascinated by the interviews we have away from your expertise talking about buy quality, which means Apple and three other stocks. Are there quality small caps? I mean, if, if somebody says in a big cap area, I want quality, can Lori Calvacina say that in mid caps and small caps? You can. It's on a relative basis, and you don't necessarily you know, have the ability to come in and make the argument, say your top quality small cap is better than, you know, kind of your top 20% quality of large caps. But within the small cap space, you do generally tend to find that stocks with better ROEs, positive earnings tend to outperform over time. You really kind of have two different worlds within the small cap indexes. You have the teeny tiny micro caps that have no liquidity, nobody trades them, nobody pays attention to them. And then you have that kind of upper echelon that does have some pretty good quality. Now, those typically get to be pretty crowded by small cap managers and typically get to be pretty expensive. But one of the reasons I love small caps right now is that upper echelon of market cap is actually pretty reasonably valued. And we don't get an opportunity to buy those high quality small caps like this all that often. Lori, how concerned were you, though, by the ISM print that we got on Friday? The services component, supposedly the strongest one coming in in contraction. Look, what it, whether or not this is a recession, something close to it, something that kind of smells like it but isn't quite is one, whatever it is, we need to go ahead and get it done. We need to go ahead and get it started from an equity market perspective. And obviously, there's a human cost to that, and we're, we're not being disrespectful of that. But from a market pricing perspective, markets typically actually do well in negative GDP years and don't do well in sluggish GDP years. And that's historically because markets really can't handle that. Will we, won't we, will we, won't we? They just want to know. They just want to rip off the Band-Aid and get back to business. I think that certain parts of the equity market, like small caps, have been pricing in a plunge in ISM manufacturing for quite some time. The services side, though, is really what's been kind of feeding, uh, you know, kind of the, the inflationary fears. And so I do think we needed to see some damage there, um, really to kind of get this inflation narrative under control once and for all. So we talk about what's priced in, right? That's been a sort of one of the big question marks for a lot of the analyst reports that we've been reading. And you took a look at how tech, consumer discretionary, and cons uh, communication services stocks accounted for 95% of the decline last year on the S&P. But tech is still overvalued by some measures. So at what point, how much more damage is necessary in that sector to become appealing to you? So I think that tech is an area, if we do get another bout of market volatility in the first quarter, and I do think that we're probably going to see that once reporting season sets in, I do think that tech is going to have a problem because I do think that that's where some of the earnings expectations do still need to be pulled down. Um, and typically, we really want to buy tech as a recovery story. So we need to put that market bottom in before we can really get to a point where you want to buy the tech sector. But the, 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 we go back to this quality issue, Lisa, because if I take a look at all the S&P 500 sectors and them in terms of quality. That classic tech sector, software, semi-hardware, that component, that really ranks as the highest quality part of the S&P 500. So you might not necessarily get super cheap valuations before investors will move back in. Mm -hmm. but you do probably need to get better valuations or at least more certainty around valuations than what you've got right now before you'll really see sustainable buyers come back. Laurie, I spent the weekend trying to calibrate the gloom. In economics, we're seeing a lot of gloom. Are you seeing in investment, and it's linkage over to finance, are you seeing a lot of gloom from RBC Capital clients? 
We do. I mean, I spent a lot of time in December overseas talking to non-U.S. based investors. And I would say what was surprising to me, Tom, is that the sense of gloom was probably not as dire as I would have expected and not quite as dire as what I would have seen just from talking to U.S. based investors. Still pretty low. Um, but I, I got the sense that talking to non-U.S. based investors, they were starting to sense opportunities out of the U.S. And so they were still concerned generally that the U.S. was overvalued. But I was hearing actually sort of a benign discussion coming out of European-based clients in particular. Um, and that was something that surprised me. It felt like maybe we had in certain corners of this market really saw that gloom start to recede just a little bit. And that is something you do tend to want to look for at market bottoms. You can feel this hope, can't you, for 23, that this is the year that you get that international outperformance time. We, talked we said about the same the thing 12, 12 months ago. I think we said it the year before, the year before that, I know. Laurie, uh, thank you. Just fantastic. Laurie Cavett senior of RBC Capital Markets. This guy that writes holistic notes pulling in the economics into the fixed income space as well. And his recent note, John, I mean, is just extraordinary in its nuance, not only in the United States, but also the transatlantic dynamics as well. People lining up to buy fixed income into <clears throat> yes, 23. Yes, that's the heart of the matter. That's the heart of the matter. It's the matter. He joins us now. Michael Schumacher is global head of macro strategy at Wells Fargo with exceptionally acute notes. Mike, your acute note says higher yields. Are we all going to die? if we have higher yields? <laughs> I hope not, at least not quickly anyway, Tom. And it's, it's interesting when you think about the move on Friday, I agree it was huge, but still the bond market has been so choppy, so volatile now for really the past six months. I wouldn't take too much out of one day's move. A lot of events coming up, a lot of progress in inflation, sure. But it's not yet time to signal, hey, it's all clear for bonds. If we sum it all up into the Bloomberg Total Return uh, Index, known over the years at Lehman Brothers and such, the answer is down ginormous with a little bit of a bounce. If you call for higher yields, does the blended total return index seek new lows in price? It depends where you look on the curve time. So if you focus on the front end, you probably still get positive returns. Let's say the two-year Treasury, you've got such a high yield baked yeah. in that if yields were to go up 25 or 50 basis points, yes, it matters, but it's not going to knock out that four-plus coupon. In the 10-year area, very different story. A little bit of an uptick, long duration, you're looking at negative returns. How much are you going to expect the market to move to a higher expectation of a terminal Fed funds rate in a very violent manner as they start to realize that the Fed is serious about what they're saying? It's going to take a while, I think, Lisa. And the problem is the Fed's credibility, frankly, is not very good. If you look back a year, so go back to December of 21, take a look at the terminal dot or take a look at the Fed funds dot for 22. At that point, it was less than 1%. That didn't work out at all. So I think the market listens to Chair Powell, says, yeah, he sounds pretty serious. He's been talking tough for four or five months. But let's see how this pans out. Let's see if the Fed hikes in February. Let's see if the Fed hikes in March. The market's going to give the Fed not much credit, frankly, because the forecasts have been so poor. Mike, I got to ask you, because we've been talking about this and kind of questioning how much we have to care about this, not to shift zones outside of uh, Jay Powell, but we've been talking about the debt ceiling debate. And at what point this bond market will care about the potential for a default a la 2011? What's your expectation? Is it on your radar? We're more concerned than we would normally be this far out, simply because of all the, the pandemonium in Washington over the last week. But the market's seen this movie a bunch of times. So typically people in the market don't care about the debt ceiling until three, maybe four weeks before the extraordinary measures appear to be exhausted. 
and then they care a lot. So they care none, 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 a bunch. And then you see market shift, equities do strange things, T-bill yield spike, that kind of stuff. But we're not there yet. I think it takes a while. Mike, I look at the total return index, and I know that guys like you are dealing in spread and relative uh, yield analysis. Deborah Cunningham was on last week from Federated, and she stopped this show with her caution on it's going to be a clip of coupon year, and prices are going to go down. If we breach last year's carnage in the total return index, we go back to a price of 2016. Is that feasible, that we could see a second year of price trauma in bonds? Last year was incredible, Tom. So thinking about the moves in the market relative to where the year began, blowing away forwards, I think that's very tough to imagine. Not impossible because things have been so strange, but think about, let's say, monetary policy for the ECB or the Fed. What's the upper bound we'd put on maybe Fed activity this year, 6%, something like that. So that's much less movement this year than we had last year. For the ECB, maybe it goes 100, 150. Big moves, yes, but again, not really shocking the market as we had a year ago. So I think the idea, or at least hopefully the, the chance of being repeating something like last year in the bond market is pretty small. So you think that this year bonds will offer an offset to the potential risk in uh, higher risk assets in the case of some sort of downturn? I think it's a really interesting point, Lisa, and you think about these correlations between bonds and equities for, let's say, most of the last 10 years, you'd have this case where equities would sell off, bonds would rally, so bonds would provide that ballast. The last year, and more recently, it's been, oh, yields are down, this is good for stocks. And we had this on Friday, too. So we don't have that correlation normalizing quite yet. I think it will, but it's probably going to take another quarter or two, is my guess. Hey, Mike, great to catch up, as always. Interesting calls out there at the moment. Mike Schumacher there of Wells Fargo. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Right now, we are going to go to the deepest part of what we do in equities, bonds, currencies, commodities, always. It is the foreign exchange market. And we do it with Rabobank, with their immense heritage of being on the other side of speculation, making commercial transactions go. Jane Foley holds court at Rabobank. Jane, wonderful to have you here and timely as well. Buried in your note at the bottom is dollar bulls do not give up. Why should the dollar bulls not give up as we see weaker dollar moving into a trend? 
Well, you know, I think if there ever was a year of a two-handed economist, I think this is going to be the year. There are so many uh, different permutations and combinations, I think, hitting the market, so many different ways you can argue uh, uh, the issues that are at hand. And I think particularly positioning now, I think we've got to look at the events that are before us through the prism of positioning. And what we've had in the last few months of, of the year into this year is, is the market really selling off and on its long dollar position. So <laughs> we're going into these fundamentals <clears throat> with the market no longer right. uh, long dollars and the market very, very long euro. And that's got to colour uh, some of, the, some of the, the news that we've had, particularly, I think, around the Fed. You do this differently because of the heritage of your bank. You people do a lot of hedging, a lot of business transactions. Is there a dollar bet on the other side of speculation? Well, you know, that I, I, that there is. Yes, I, I think the answer to that is, is is yes. But I think if we look at the reasons that the, the market has been selling off the dollar in the last couple of months, and it's it's surrounding, you know, the attitude towards peak US and, of course, uh, or peak Fed. Now, the, the Fed remains pretty hawkish. I think we can argue this uh, both ways. You know, will the Fed cut interest rates this year? Will it not? There's lots of different views out there. But this argument is going to look different when the market's no longer long the dollars. Uh, and, and similarly, you know, we look at what's been ramping up uh, the, the euro long positions over the last couple of months, this is all related to the gas price, to less pessimism about the European economic outlook. But again, the news flow is going to hit differently when the market's already long euros. So I think what we're in for is an awful lot of choppy trading as as, as the market reacts to the, the ebb and flow of, of this you know, very volatile news flow from now, this position of being not long dollars and very long euros. What's the range then you're looking for? I think the range is going to be large, you know, and I, and I think this is a, a, a new world here. And I, and I would go as far as to say is that the, the low volatility that we had, you know, in, in recent years was the outlier. I think that was a, a function of very cheap money in, in the wake of the, the quantitative easing years. And with that rain back, I think all investors are much more exposed to economic fundamentals. They have to look at economic fundamentals and be more worried about it because money's more expensive. And I think that's going to make a, a much more choppy environment, probably, probably not just this year, last year, but actually in, in years to come uh, and, until perhaps we, we get you know, cheaper money uh, again for whatever reason. So I, I think we could be you know, seeing euro dollar in you know, one, two to maybe one, eight, one, nine, one, ten. You know, I think we've got a, a lot of choppiness um, to come over the course yeah. of this year. Jane, you raise a lot of really good points. This question of which data this market responds to. We saw uh, softer than expected inflation prints in Europe uh, with inflation coming in more than expected, that on the headline number, but that had to do a lot with the energy prices, not with respect to core inflation. The market didn't respond to that. We see the ECB coming out and saying consistently they're going to hike rates more and that they see potential momentum in inflation. What is the market responding to with the optimism aside from just the strength because of the uh, better than expected outcome with the winter and energy. Well, sometimes the market responds to what it wants to, to respond to. It sees what it wants to see. And actually, right now, it's ignoring some of the hawkishness from both the ECB and from the Fed. And, and, and I think in terms of the European data that we had last week, yes, those headline numbers were coming lower. Yes, they're going to come lower uh, because of uh, lower energy prices and, and because of base, base effects as well in, into the year. But those core numbers were higher. Uh, there is the effect of, of tight labour markets. This does make it an unusual downturn because labour markets across mm -hmm. almost the whole of the OECD 
are so tight. And, and, and this does mean that services sector inflation could remain more sticky. And, and this is what central banks are, are worried about. This is why they retain this, this hawkish rhetoric. Uh, and, and they're warning perhaps right. that the market, you know, don't get too hot up on the fact that we're going to be cutting right. interest rates in, in the foreseeable future. They may not be. We have to wait and see. What's your high beta trade EM right now? I got to make some money before our uh, Arsenal Spurs here this weekend. Jane, what's your high beta EM pair right now? Well, we've seen, I know, uh, the dollar sell off. We've seen people go shorter on, on the Mexican peso. I think that's probably going to uh, carry on. But, you know, if, if you talk about uh, uh, this, I always put, like to put the Aussie in here because the Aussie traditionally is seen as sort of the high-risk um, trade within the G10. And, and actually, that's no longer. Australia's running a, a current account surplus. It's an energy exporter. Uh, the interest rate uh, differentials are much narrower than they used to be. And, and, and I think that means that Australia is no longer going to be seen as, as this sort of uh, high-risk currency. And, and I think that one could perform quite well this year. Interesting. Jane, thank you. As always, brilliant. Jane Foley there of Rabobank. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio.